Welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something. We're now three episodes into our new series of Match of the Week, allowing you a weekly dosage of banter in the brawling barriers of the squared circle. From myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host... Simon Cross. And it's my turn, since it's the odd numbers from the odd one of the group, to decide what match we're covering for this match of the week. And I have gone to Mexico, the land of Lucha Libre, to discuss a match that many people consider the greatest match in the history of Lucha Libre, a match that won the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year for the year 2000, and there were a lot of great matches that year. And also that Dave Meltzer himself came extremely close to rating five stars, so we could very easily have been covering it during last year's five-star project. But it's not that. Simon, what is the match that we are covering tonight? Uh, it's against Villanano Trez. Villano Trez. Against the wrestling lost city himself, Atlantis. And it's Mask versus Mask, yes. I believe, is the Luchas stick. Luchas Apuestas. I think is how you pronounce it. Basically, the most important matches in Lucha Libre. More important than titles is the mask. Because it is your identity, essentially. It's your soul. It is your soul. It is what defines you as a person. And also, within the Villanos, it's significant because it's part of a family heritage and a family legacy. We didn't really get to cover that much Lucha Libre when we were doing the Melts Five Star Project. There was the Rey Mysterio match, the the mm. eight-man tag or a six-man tag. Oh, it felt like eight, yeah, even if it yeah. was six. Yeah, and then we also had Los Gringos Locos against El Hijo del Santo and um, Octagon, I believe it was. Yep. Yep. That was contested under traditional Lucha Libre 2 as 3 falls rules. But this one is one fall to a finish. And one of the things I was saying, with our lack of knowledge of Lucha Libre compared to, obviously, American wrestling, but also Japanese wrestling or British wrestling, is that it's a different grammar, essentially. It's different structuring. Things don't have a like-for-like translation. There is a different heritage, culture understanding and psychology to this match than we will see in American matches, Japanese matches and and British matches, etc. And that is visible in this match because it took me a while to get what they were doing. It didn't match up to my understandings of what most wrestling matches and, and the psychology of most wrestling matches are. But then when I finally got it, I was into it. And what it was was that essentially they spent almost the entire match trying to win the match. <laughs> Novel concept, that, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> And they say the Mexican wrestling has no psychology. I mean, I'll be honest. When this was the selection that was made, I was like, ah, oh, Lucha. Now, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't seen enough of it, obviously, to make an informed opinion. But what we had covered during the Five Star Project didn't tickle my fancy. It didn't resonate with me. And there was a real, like, slow plodding start to this. Like, it, uh, it 
at the very beginning, like the way they came to the ring and it was lots of preamble. Yes, it was all about the referee. I was trying to get a grasp of who was the Rudo and who was the Technico in this match. Mm. It sounded to me like Atlantis was getting booed when he came out. But then it looked like there was a crooked referee that was Villano's referee. First ref. And also his name was Villano. Yes. Yeah. So... <laughs> and he's the one that does that like absolutely despicable act of like tearing at the mask early doors. Well, that's almost a sign of just hatred at that point, I think. Most of these mask matches come because there's utter hatred to the point that this is the point of no return, essentially. But it also is almost is ultimately the resolution of that feud as well. Yeah, there's a sense of like honor amongst men, especially in the final at the end of it. Like it's a very big ceremony essentially. But we'll mm. cross that bridge when we come to it. Mark that one off your uh, bingo cards. Wait. It starts off on the mat in Mexico. Despite people's assumption of it always being about high flying and and high spots and everything, from my understanding within lucha libre, before you are ever allowed to fly, you have to be a good amateur wrestler. Like, mm-hmm. they will train you in amateur wrestling, essentially, before they train you in pro wrestling. Which makes sense. And, like, you need the fundamentals, I guess, to be able to, like, sew things together and transition smoothly yeah. if you're going to do a Lucha Libre style. So, if we were to associate brawling more with the Americans and and sort of that epic, strong style to the Japanese culture and then technical wrestling to the British... Lucha is associated with high flying, but it seems like high flying and mat work are what it, are its two fundamentals. Mm. Because like famous moves in Mexico are either high flying tope suicidas or cradles like la magistral and, and and other things like that. And that's what you're getting in this match essentially after the big high spot at the start, which is the tope from uh, I think it's from Villano to. Uh, Atlantis, and it, it does look like a legit clash of heads. Well, that's the thing that that I think that is what they're they're pushing as the narrative that they've both been knocked completely loopy. Yeah, and so and uh, Atlantis's face is leaking. Yeah, and so severely. a lot of what would have been the middle's portion of the match of them wearing each other down is all and the first and second fall. Yeah, like you would traditionally have. Yeah is automatically accounted for because it seems like both these men are heavily concussed. Like, the doctor literally checks on both of them. Neither of them gets up for ages. And like I said, when they go into the ring, then it's almost like they're on the finishing straight because they both just feel like there's not much left in them. But their desire to not lose their mask means that this is still a punishing long match, even though it's like Act 1 is three, four minutes at the start. Act 2 is the tope. And yeah. then Act 3 is the rest of the, like, 25, 30-minute match, I think it is. Two men desperately trying to put the other man away. By via submission or a cradle. And that is all they are basically doing throughout. I just, like, when I'm, I'm keeping a list of everything, there's a couple of suplex attempts and stuff like that, but, like, half the time it's a suplex being turned into a small package. But that was just at one point, I just wrote him really, in capital letters, just cradles and submissions because that is all that it is at that point i mean there we see like one of my favorite moves octopus lock uh, an inverted gory bomb or gory stretch Mm. carlo's uh insane core strength i think in the corner when he like lifts himself it's either in the corner or in a submission i can't remember but he just 
he did like a prolonged sit-up which lasted about 30 seconds. This is before the, the MMA influence of this world. So there's no tap-outs or anything still. Yeah. And there's no sort of faux Brazilian jiu-jitsu going on. This is traditional submission holds. And like the transitions aren't as clear. It is one doesn't submission. It doesn't work. He lets it go. And half the time, the other guy then just grabs him and, and puts him into a sub- You know, one of the things I always say is connective tissue. There's not a lot of that. Like yeah. one will suddenly be in a submission hold and then just as likely they're the one that will apply a submission hold next without it necessarily of being caused by him being able to shift the momentum. He just but kind the of backdrop, grabs the suit, grabs it when he can, you know? The backdrop of the story and what's at stake serves in many ways as the connective tissue. Yeah. When you plug in, as you mentioned, they are both on Dream Street pretty much. Yeah. They, they get away with it. You don't need Flash and you don't need... This match, even though it starts off with obviously like a very big, like loads of bolts and add-ons... The bulk of the match is very much less is more. Mm. And it breathes naturally, it flows, and it sucks you in as a result. I I love I loved I got I got invested in When this. I got invested, I started to love it. I thought yeah. I, I thought this is just gonna be something that I don't like just like I said, so many things you're just not within your regular rhythms and your understandings of what a wrestling match is, right down to how long a referee counts one, two, three. Mm. It is much longer in this match than it than I associate with a traditional like American Japanese wrestling is kind of one, two, three. In Mexico, they're checking the shoulders a lot of the time first, mm. and then it's. But I like the checking of the shoulders. I mean, I don't. Again, I've not seen. Sorry, I see you went so slow. I started talking. Yeah. I like the checking of the shoulders though, because it adds what's at stake to it. Yeah. Or maybe I, maybe it's a connection I've made. He doesn't want to make a bad call when a man's identity is at stake you want you want to make sure you get that right at least that's what i read into it yeah just all the the fun counters and submission holds and like i said so many of them have a lot of historical significance like i said with in 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 mexico and japan the history of wrestling through its moves is maybe more significant than it is in america Mm. outside of finishing moves but it's things like the going for the surfboard or the rio romero as it's known in mexico after the guy who invented it or like I said, going for the octopus hold, another significant hold of, you know, like gory specials, the the camel clutch. Those are all connected. You know, it was literally Gory Guerrero that invented the camel clutch. That's to Mexican fans what the STF used to mean in America is like the Luthez hold, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. The level of kickouts and just constant near finishes was almost reminiscent of like what we get now with NXT and, and the New Japan, but also like the old Joshi matches of the mid-90s in that it's just when it's, it almost felt like it couldn't end, but this was the match where it works for more than anything. Yeah. It is the most important match of either of these men's lives. Like they don't know yeah. for certain that they'll have a career after this. That is how significant sometimes losing the mask in Mexico is. And the pacing, I think, because it was a slower pace, you don't mind the multitude of kickouts so much. Because mm. it's men just literally and it cl- is- scratching and clawing. It's not like someone popping up to do like a cyclone bomb after and it being is they're looking for a pinning combination. They've not hit them with a murder, death, kill, top rope, you know, uh, power bomb move. They're going yeah. for the cradles, which are ultimately holds that you put on someone who's not necessarily worn out yet enough to, you know, be just kept down. You're trying to pin him down like in an amateur wrestling match, you know, how mm. hard it is to um, 
to defeat someone in that environment. You, they're struggling every step of the way. It's not like we wait for one, two, then we'll see what's going to happen. I Like I said, there are things that kind of threw me off, like I said at the start. I didn't love how one would have a submission hole, release it, and then just kind of not do anything until they're suddenly put into a submission hole. You can pay it off as exhaustion, but, you know. Not, not all the time, I no. guess. But it was also like, you know, they didn't do like that, um... One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. They, they might have done that, like... There's a couple of times where one does a runner and then the other one reverses it, but it's not like sequences. It mm. doesn't feel choreographed, which is always the complaint about a lot of Lucha Libre. Yeah, it so, felt a lot more realistic. I think what would have helped our enjoyment of it, not that I didn't enjoy it, but I sort of... It took me ages to recognise what they were doing, and I think that had a detrimental effect on me appreciating what I was seeing for the first like half of this at yeah. least is commentary we understood. So either I was knowing Spanish or like in yeah. English. You know what I mean? I think yeah. I think that But then that but then that can make you factor. concentrate more on the match itself and you try and discern it through the universal language of wrestling. You know, like <sighs> it is it is the closest thing that we have to an art form outside of music that people can understand wherever you are, you know? Like I said, there's cultural elements to it. It's essentially the only thing we've got that's close to now what silent cinema had. Yeah. And obviously, as we've known from a year of empty arenas, sound is important to a wrestling match. And like that Arena Mexico crowd is going crazy pretty much throughout it all. And like I said, in Mexico, it is more ingrained within their culture. The reason that they wear luchador masks is rooted like the hacker in new zealand sports it's literally ingrained into centuries of culture yeah in mexico when they would go to battle in the fields they would often have like masks on and, and garish things like it's all, a lot of it especially with the villianos it's like their family shield you're essentially wearing your family's heritage on your face it's your crest match, you know yeah i'm with you okay what i like about this as well is once the finish happens and there's like that sort of conflap in the ring, mm. you could tell it's very much uh, this is done. This yeah, is like this is the final of chapter. Tensions. Yeah, you can almost compare it to like how when you read about the duels of 18th and 17th century society, where yeah. it is meant to be like you know it's the equivalent of a modern day gang warfare drive-by shooting, mm. but instead it's following all of these formalities of you know slaps with gloves and, and what have you and, mm. and non you know i don't know if you've listened to or seen hamilton uh where they go through all the dual commandments you have to bring someone there there has to be a doctor each one has to bring a second who will negotiate at the end to see if something can be set up before a gun is fired and then yeah. finally when they take 10 paces and turn a lot of the time they will fire their gun in the air to signify that essentially this has gone as far as it will go Obviously, you you mean this means so much to you that you will go to this far. This means so much to me that I will go to this this far. Yeah. You know? But then sometimes they just shoot each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's downsides. To so that. there is there is uh, almost like radiation. like you say to that these obviously people these people hate each other. But very often when someone then the one that loses then hands the winner their mask, that winner is gracious in their victory. And it is like I said, it's a whole big ceremony because the Villanos are of this great wrestling dynasty that uh come from uh uh mendoza i'm trying to find his original uh, the original ray mendoza you know one of the great wrestlers of 
all time. And all of his sons got into wrestling. Villano's one, two, three, four, and five. Like now, Villano Trez has two sons in wrestling, and their names are Villano Trez Jr. <laughs> and El Hijo del Villano Trez. You know, the little that's that's how right. the son of Villano three, right? I'm with you. So that's Junior essentially. It's two versions of Junior for a guy who's okay. the third. You know, <laughs> if you add it up, I don't know what that makes them. But also like his, Villano cubed, and, and and just like with Jules, actually, I was saying how each one has a, like a, a second with them. They both had like he, like Villano. He has his brothers with him. I don't know if Atlantis had them. Yeah, but also I think is um, this can very often be the start of the end of a wrestler's career. Like a, a big unmasking quite recently was with a guy called Doctor Wagner Jr. in Mexico a couple of years ago. He lost his mask, then revealing himself like so many masked Mexican wrestlers that he's like this stud. He's a grandpa that fucks essentially. <laughs> Doctor Wagner Jr. Like look it up on Google. Look up Doctor Wagner Jr. unmasked. And, you, you know... <laughs> he's gorgeous, he is. He's gorgeous. He's a man that trades in his wife for a younger model when he reaches <laughs> about 46 or 47. You know, that kind of... Yeah. You know, one of the silver foxes, essentially. Now, the same can't be said for Villano Tres. <laughs> he, he looks like all of his 48 years. And then some. Yeah. But that's Does also... He, the, like, the 48 crazy... there, that's ridiculous when you look at his physique. Well, so many... Well, He's not ripped. Oh, <laughs> that, he's doing that well. typical Lucha Libre wrestler who's like five foot eight and barrel chested. Mm. You know, that's kind of the Lucha Libre look, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but also to be 48 and being involved in the match of the year is pretty incredible as well. It's a hell of an achievement. And... And he was seen as one of the great wrestlers at that point, like one of like the best of all the Villanos, and yeah. like on a, on a like quality of matches fronts, um, you know. But I, I, I'm glad that you picked this because it opened my eyes to like a different. It's made me give Mexican wrestling another thought. Yeah, I didn't want to say I'd like written it off wholesale, well, but it's I've seen another side to it now. Yeah, I mean, you've also got to contrast that one of Villano's last matches was also voted worst match of the year in 2015's Me- uh, Wrestling Observer. <laughs> I think really? it's one of the minus five star matches. Ooh. Really? So, you know, he almost went the full... He almost did a Bushwhackers. He almost went the full end of the Gambit. Spectrum, you know? He's ran the he's ran the line, yeah. But that's the weird thing as well in Mexico. Like these guys will wrestle into you know have really really long careers. And I was looking at it because you know what I think it is because of the cradles and the dives. It's weirdly not actually that bump heavy a style of wrestling. Mm. Like if you're mostly focusing on cradles and and that and a couple of dives per match, you're kind of spacing out your risks. Yeah, like you you can it's it's low. As you say, it's low risk miles on the clock. No one's bit landing. No one's lands on their neck. Um, aside from the head collision, uh, and I don't know how intentional that was or how like prepared they were for that, or if they just thought we'll just clash heads and work from it. Mm. There wasn't anything that you'd like wince at mm. on this. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's a match I would definitely recommend people check out who haven't watched any Lucha Libre. 
Yeah. Um, it's not. It's I'd, not I'd recommend it purely for, well, not purely, but because it gives you a different side of what yeah. Mexican wrestling can be. Yeah, yeah. And also, like you say, the ceremony at the end, it just seems so important. Like, the ring is filled with so many people and, like, his family is there with him. It's almost not a funeral, but it's obviously like a, an emotional... Like, everyone is crying. He seems to celebrate more than Atlantis, weirdly. Like, Atlantis seems exhausted and he'll live to fight another day, but this is obviously a key... This is the key turning point in Villano Trez's career. <clears throat> you know, he's he's revealing himself to the public for the first time. And so it is both like a sad occasion and a happy occasion. Like many funerals and wakes can weirdly be, you know? Yeah, it's sort of liberating in a sense. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that's, that's probably an extreme way of putting it, but I'm just trying to give you some ideas of what to expect when you watch it. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, do we want to talk about whether we give it five stars or not, or shall we absolve ourselves from that conversation? Or uh, I think I wouldn't. I, so I, I, I wouldn't, but, but I, I would say it's enjoyable. Yeah, it's an excellent match. Yeah, and and like I said, it was something different. I would like to see more matches. It's probably the only match that I can kind of see like that in a weird way, in that the intensity is kept from the start to the finish. In recent years, was the Jordan Devlin David Star match. Hmm. In that they are both just desperately trying to win, you know. Although with them, it's more of a humiliation aspect to it as well. Yeah. But like there, like I said, there is like rarely a moment where they're not doing like trademark poses or anything, or just doing a move for the sake of a move. They want what they're about to do to be the last thing of this match, almost all times, you know. Mm. And I would like to see more wrestling matches maybe take that to heart instead of feeling like we've got to milk this out and and you know. Uh, whack a sequence in and like do a flippy thing for the second. Could have worked better with the tap out culture, or do you think that verbal submission and like and the fact that it goes <laughs> to the same move again and it's so smoothly done as well that that transition into like a mm-hmm. sort of a torture rack move. I think for the Mexican fans, the verbal submission worked. Yeah, um, the then start the wild flailing, and that can be you know it's it's, it's yeah. different horses for courses essentially. Both ways can work. The tap out definitely feels like it gives a more instantaneous reaction. It's more of a, you know, in a visual mm. medium, it works more. You know, sometimes you get like Ric Flair shake his head, shake the head, and then nod the head. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, and it's also so definitive. Like I think something like this, it doesn't. You shouldn't win it on a cradle. Maybe you should probably win it on a submission. Yeah, and because it's not about a, a thing where people do fifteen thousand power bomb uh, death kill moves. Yeah, but anyway, that's been that match. Simon, it's back to your choices. So, we are going to, just after I I started drawing breath, in the 1991 G1. Actually, no, it was April. We turned to what we went to once before in our alternate five-star matches. Yeah. When we discussed the final between Muto and Chono. We're going a couple of days ahead of that. Where are we going, Simon? Uh, Well, we are watching Kiji Muto, uh, but he's taking on... Uh, one of the boys that I've I've wanted to see a lot more of and set myself a task to see a fair bit more of during this project, it's Big Leon White, Big Van Vader. Yeah, it's going to be a classic David versus Goliath match. If people want to get in touch with you, Simon, before then, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free, free for the number of Villianos that were in 
the ring because it was really not a tress that kind of works that kind of doesn't i've made a semi hash of it but i'm now going to smoothly transition to how people can get in touch with you lorcan they can get in touch with me at lorcanmullen at gmail.com that's l-o-r-c-a-n-m-u-l-l-a for atlantis n for nipping it in the bud which was what villiano senior said to his missus after villiano cinco turned up <laughs> maybe he had the snip at that point that's my Twitter handle as well, without the at Gmail, obviously. Uh, you can get in touch with the show, lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle. But there's nothing left to say until our next episode, except that my name's Lorca Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.